Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or whenever you are joining me and tuning in to hear about one of the greatest hobbies in the world. I'm your host, Zachary Anderson, and this is Your Turn, the podcast where I talk about board games, game mechanics, and on some occasions, other nerdy culture things. For all of my returning listeners, welcome back! And to those of you tuning in for the first time, welcome and please enjoy the episode. In this episode, I will be discussing a mechanism used in many different games in a multitude of ways. It adds variation and stress to many game night experiences. I will also be talking about two enjoyable games that can be played with people of all gaming experiences and still create an atmosphere of a great time. So once again, thank you for joining me, and let's get to the games. The piece of board game jargon or mechanism I want to discuss is hand management. And this is defined on Board Game Geek as games with cards in them that reward players for playing said cards in certain sequences or groups. The optimal sequence or grouping may vary depending on board position, cards held, and cards played by opponents. Managing your hand means gaining the most value out of available cards under given circumstances. As I mentioned, this actually creates a lot of variation in games. Hand management can at times lead to very stressful experiences. Though not used in every hand management game, there are designers who create a system within their games in which the cards can stand for multiple factors or multiple things within the game as a whole. In this system, the cards you play may not only gain you resources or give you moves to trigger as you fight the Denzians of the Deep, but your cards may also be acting as your life force. And once you run out of cards, you're out of the game. As you play these games, it becomes even more important to keep track of the cards you have in your hand as well as the cards in your deck or tableau, making sure each turn you are receiving the maximum benefit without slipping up and merely treading water. This stress can be exponentially heightened if you are playing a cooperative game because you are not only causing yourself to lose, but may play a vital role in leading to your team's failure as well. But it's okay. It's just a game. Just make sure you're having fun. In hand management games, players strive to find a balance between the resources available and the cards they have in their hands. You might have three resources in front of you. The opportunity to earn a few more and yet be holding a card that would cost you 10 resources and your left shoe. Now in this situation, there's not much reason to hold onto the card, as it is currently kind of useless. But some games have built in the ability to discard a higher level card for resources, with the chance of gaining that card back later in the game. And understanding this tightrope you must walk as you judge which cards are worth it in the moment and which you can do without for now can mean the difference between a marked 
in the victory column as opposed to yet another dash in the loss column. FYI, my loss column now takes up six columns. I'm that bad at this. Some players are better at finding this balance within a game than others and are able to turn their cards into a well-oiled machine churning out resources and points, while others, myself included, have less of a machine and more of a creepy haunted wishing well, where we toss cards or resources into the dark and hope for the best. The last thing I want to mention about hand management is the tension built around the table by this mechanism. Though these games are not always built in this way, hand management sometimes feels like a race. Which player can figure out their cards the fastest and make the cards work for them in order to snatch a victory? When this mechanism is paired with card drafting, the challenge increases dramatically, as you must pay attention to not only your cards, but also which cards might benefit your opponents. Now, I'm not saying to take the cards from them. But in games where cards equal resources, it can be helpful to snag a card from your opponent and simply turn it into something that actually works for you. Now, I do want to mention in card drafting games, this is what's called hate drafting, and I'll talk about that a little bit later with one of our other games. But it's not always the best idea. I do have a couple recommendations if this mechanism or the ideas I've mentioned sound like something you might fancy. If you are someone who likes options and having cards that can act as multiple different actions, movement, attack, thievery, but also like the idea of having to balance your cards with your hit points as you rampage across a fantasy realm, you might want to look into Gloomhaven or Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. If you prefer using your cards to build a superb resource and point crafting machine, I have two games that might pique your interest. The first is all about developing the small red planet that acts as our neighbor in our solar system, creating generation after generation of settlers and bringing carnivores and birds and plants with you. And this is terraforming Mars. And lastly, if you prefer using cards as spells and having to use a fine tooth comb to make sure everything is working before you flip the switch, and that your magic run wild, Res Arcana might be the game you're looking for. Now, there are many more hand management games out there, and hopefully I might have snagged your attention, but I'm sure some of you are already starting your Google search. The first game I would like to discuss is Downforce. This game was published by Restoration Games. It was designed by Rob Davio. Justin D. Jacobson, and Wolfgang Kramer. The art was done by Tavis Coburn, Michael Crampton, and Jason Taylor. It was published in 2017, plays between two and six players, and lasts between 20 and 40 minutes. A quick rundown on how to play. Downforce takes place over three parts, the auction, the race, and the betting, which takes place during the race. First, we have the auction. One player should separate 
the six speed eight cards and the six power cards as well as the 42 regular speed cards. The same player will shuffle the regular speed cards together and deal these cards out evenly to all players. While the dealing is being done, another player should randomly place the card tokens or pawns at the starting line on the game board. Each player should also take a single score sheet. After players have looked over their cards, the auction will begin. The dealer will flip over one speed eight card. Each speed eight card is a different color, by the way, and one power card. Players will choose one of the cards from their hands and play the card face down. Once all players have played a card, all cards are turned over face up and the player who played the highest number of the matching color wins the auction and the car and power set. Beware though, the number you bid for the car and won with is deducted from your final score at the end of the game. The auction continues until all cars and powers have been auctioned off. Before the race begins, any player that won multiple power cards must select a single power to hold on to, while any others are returned to the game box. Time to race. Phase two is the race. The player who won the auction for the car that was randomly placed on the space with a number one on it goes first. And then play continues clockwise. On their turn, a player will choose one of the cards in their hand to play. Each card can only be played once, so be wise. Once played, the player will move the cars of each color indicated on their card a number of spaces indicated by the number attached to each color in descending order as shown on the card. For example, on one card, the blue car is at the top and will be moved five spaces, followed by the yellow car, which moves three, and finally the green car, which moves one. Cars may move diagonally, but they must always be moving forward and may not move side to side. If a car is blocked and therefore cannot legally move forward, they remain in their current location and are skipped. Once all the indicated cars have been moved, the next player goes, playing a card and repeating the process. Play continues in this fashion until all cars cross the finish line or all players are out of cards. Once a player has all of their cards across the finish line, they discard the rest of their cards and will continue to watch the race. As cards cross the finish line, they are placed on the leaderboard, which will denote winnings for each car. Lastly, during the race, there is a third phase, betting. On the game board, there are three yellow lines around the track. The first time each line is crossed, before the next player plays their card, each player will take up their score sheet and mark which car they think will come in first place at the end of the race, thereby placing a bet and hoping they win big. Players do not have to bet on their own cars, 
and this can lead to a player's car finishing in the middle of the pack and still closing the gap on winning the game as a whole. Once the game is over, again, when all cards are played or all cards have crossed the finish line, it is time to tally scores. Players add up the winnings they receive for each of their cards placed on the leaderboard and any money won through the betting phases throughout the race. Finally, players will subtract however much they spent to buy their cars or cars during the auction. The player with the highest score wins and must take a victory lap around the house or gaming facility. All right, folks, buckle your seat belts and let's get ready to race. Take a breath and realize you are sitting on the edge of your seat. And for the love of Cthulhu, do not forget to bring earplugs because these cars are fast and loud. Over the last 30 years, I've only ever been to a single motor race, NASCAR or otherwise. I've been to a couple destruction derbies, and those are always exciting, but I have never seen the draw of watching people drive in a large circle for hours. It's kind of boring. I do have friends who follow the sport with each race and can name drivers off the top of their heads. I can understand that there is an appeal to the activity, but the sensation and thrill is usually lost on me. I wanted to say this because downforce may not have the incredible speeds or the true volume of noise a in-person car race might have. Placing bets and playing cards can cause you to feel exhilaration and excitement. Each phase of the game adds a different level of thrill and fun while also leading players to have to think outside the box and determine what is the best way to steal a victory, even if their car or cars do not finish the race. During the first part of the game, the auction, the tension is built as players attempt to read their opponents and weigh their options for cars and powers before them. Within the base game, which is all I own, as I sadly do not own either of the expansions, there are some powers that are greater than others. These include, but are not limited to, being able to move cars in reverse order as what is on your played card, always being able to control where your car moves, which is helpful because normally you are at the mercy of other players, or even get a boost of speed if your car only moves on spaces that are perfect rectangles. I am not sure if the powers are entirely balanced, but because the powers are randomly drawn to the cars, you may really want a specific power, but by buying the power, you are stuck with the orange car, and you only have three cards with orange on them, thereby making the power kind of less than ideal. Not only are you looking for powers and cars whose color you can move around the board quickly, but you are also facing off with opponents who may have been dealt a greater variety of colors and can move all the cars quite often. As players sit and determine how much they are willing to bid on a car, remember that the amount you spend to win a power car combo is subtracted from your total at the end of the game. But you have to give your opponents a once over and peer through the windows of their souls, their eyes, 
and decipher what is Jason thinking. Does he really want the yellow car? Or is he just bluffing and making me paranoid? You know, Rachel already bought the black car. Does she really want to risk buying the green car as well just to get that power? Also, who ate the last of the... Wait a second. How did everyone buy a car and why am I getting stuck with the flippin' red car while I have a single card with red on it? And the car starts in the back of the... Pa I need to pay better attention. I need to stop worrying about the pretzels. The second segment of the game, the race itself, goes rather quickly and can lead to both cheering and sadness as each player selects which card to play on their turn, hand management must come into consideration. Each person must analyze the board and determine the best path and option to take at any given moment, as playing a high-speed card may look like a wonderful idea, but is utterly wasted if your car can only move three spaces before being blocked. Most cards will move multiple cards as well which creates a necessity to move your opponent's vehicles closer to the finish line before you move yours. And though this may seem counterproductive, you can find immense benefit with doing this as you move your opponent's cars into traffic jams and clog up the narrow corners. In playing this game numerous times on Board Game Arena, a wonderful online-based board game platform, I've seen turn after turn where my car never moved because I was stuck behind a wall of cars going into a curve where you essentially had to move your cars in a single file line and it was infuriating. As frustrated as I got, I could not fault my opponents because the positioning was well played. And by stopping me, it actually caused me to play cards that moved their cars further along the track. Lastly, we have the betting, the wild yeses and fever dreams of some car owners. As previously stated, there are three different points throughout the game where players will bet on which car will come in first place. And though it may seem like you always want to bet on your own car or one of your cars if you own multiple, in all of my experiences, Betting on yourself does not always go as planned. As your car can be at the mercy of other players, you may have sped to first early in the race, but as turns continue, your car stalls and drops to third, fourth, last place. When it comes to betting, a player has to look at both the placement of cars currently on the board, but also what colors they are still holding in their hand. Sure, you may not own the blue car, but you have five cards with high blue numbers. And even though they are currently in third place, if played right, you can rocket them forward and through the curve before orange and close the path. Players have the opportunity to bet on the same car all three times or mix it up. And this also generates a level of strategy. Because if you bet on blue all three times and they end up winning, you've just brought in a good chunk of change, which would have been greatly diminished if you bet on three different cars. In playing Downforce, I've seen nail-biting finishes as two cars edge closer to the checkered flag, only for a player to throw down their speed 8 card and shoot past at the last second. 
And I've also seen absolute trounces as a card jettisons into first right away and maintains a commanding lead through the entire race. But no matter the outcome, in each race I've seen people cheering for their cars while jeering at the other players in good fun, of course, as they once again are left in the dust and fail to move their car for the third turn in a row. You know what? I think the yellow car actually popped a tire or the driver fell asleep because they ain't moving. On a previous episode of Your Turn, I discussed the racing game Camel Up where I talked about the thrill of seeing the camels move and the randomness of which would move and how far they would go. Downforce removes the randomness and grants the player almost complete control over what their car does, leaving some players to stand up and shout as their little plastic car sneaks past their rival in the final straightaway. I have had wonderful luck teaching this game to a variety of people. And though the first game may take a short time getting used to the idea of managing your cards and potentially betting on cars that aren't your own, I have witnessed people quickly pick up the overall play and dive into the experiences. One of my favorite plays of the game included a deal made between players to help each other by moving their cars in such a way that mutually benefited them both. But once the final betting line was crossed, the deal shattered as both players were out for blood and victory. The rules do not directly say that deals are not allowed in terms of alliances and mutual benefit, and I know some people hate this because it does alter the gameplay. But I say go ahead. As long as it does not completely break the game, make deals, have fun. Overall, Downforce is a thrilling race game that does not take up a tremendous amount of time and after a race, it is easy to set back up and go for round two, or even round three. I briefly mentioned there are expansions to this game, which add more tracks to the race, one of which is a pure sprint from point A to B, while another is a figure eight, causing chaos and madness at the path's intersection. If you are looking for a generally simple racing game, with some levels of strategy and stress, I highly recommend Downforce. Play with friends, or play with family. But no matter what, remember to keep that pedal to the metal and leave those behind you in the dust. The next game I'd like to discuss is Sushi Go. This game was published by GameRight and designed by Phil Walker Harding. The art was done by Nan Rongsima, Tobias Schweiger, and Phil Walker Harding. It was published in 2013 and plays between two and five players in about 20 minutes. A quick how to play. Setup for this game is very simple. Before you shuffle the deck of cards, you must remove the dessert cards and set them aside, as you will only be using a certain number each round. In the first round, shuffle five of the dessert cards with the rest of the deck. Each card represents a different sushi meal item, such as nigiri, sashimi, or dumplings. After shuffling, a round can start. Someone should deal out a certain number of cards depending on the player count. 10 cards per player for two or three players, and nine cards for games of four or five. Turns in Sushi Go all happen simultaneously as each player looks at the cards they were dealt, 
selects one card and places it face down in front of them. Once all players have a card face down in front of them, players will reveal their chosen cards and then pass the rest of their cards to the player to their left. Now with different cards in hand, now with different cards in hand, players once again select a card, place it face down, and then reveal together. Play continues in this fashion until all cards have been played and revealed. This signifies the end of a round. Players tally points earned by cards played in front of them, and each type of card will score in a different way. For example, players score 5 points for each pair of tempura they have collected during the round. After tallying up points, players will collect all cards played with the exception of dessert cards. These score the end of the game, the third round. More dessert cards are added into the game, three more in a second round, two more in the third. Cards are once again shuffled and dealt out to the players and a new round begins. Following the end of the third round, players add up points scored during each round, giving points to the player who collected the most dessert cards and taking points from the player with the fewest dessert cards. The player with the highest score wins and eats sushi. I want to get this out of the way before I start talking about the game proper. When I first played this game, I refused to eat sushi because I thought it was gross. Raw seafood? That's an easy pass. Yet, now, years after my first play, I have fallen in love with sushi. Is there a connection between me playing the game and learning to adore sushi? I doubt it. Because the theme of the game is really thin. But I found myself on a few occasions thinking about how many points the sushi dish I am eating might be worth. Would a poke bowl be worth more than the delicious snow crab roll? If I combine all of my orders into a bento box, is that triple my points? Dang it. Now I'm hungry for sushi. Thanks a lot, Zach. You're welcome. The main mechanism in Sushi Go and the follow-up slash expansion Sushi Go Party, which is the one I own, is card drafting. Each player is dealt a hand of cards, which are then passed player to player, and each player will take one card from the given hand. When looking at your hand of cards, there are many ideas running through your mind. Do I take the dessert card and score points in the end? If I take the Maki, will I score points? Because Logan is already collecting Maki. Or do I take the Sashimi and hope there are two more floating around the table somewhere? Players have to be on their toes to make the best decisions possible, while also keeping an eye on what their opponents are collecting. As to keep from running aground as you and Sarah fight for Sashimi and let Jason run away with two pairs of tempura and the most Maki rolls. Though drafting is the main mechanism, each round you are battling with your fellow players over sets of cards. Not all the cards are dealt out each round and this can cause frustration as you try to decipher how many of each card is in play and how that will play into your strategy. Though a set of three sashimi will bank you 10 points at the end of a round, there is no guarantee that there are even three in play. And as suggested earlier, one of your devil-eyed opponents may have their eye on those delicious slices of fish as well. Keeping your options open and being ready to switch gears to collect different cards is invaluable 
while playing Sushi Go. I recall playing a few years ago when one player scored next to no points in the first round, but was able to sneak away with four of the dessert cards, thereby commanding a solid lead for those at the end of the game, while the rest of us were playing catch-up. Do not come after me and yell, Zach, you idiot, why did you let them get so many desserts? To which I respond, I don't know. The cute faces on the cards must have distracted me. Come on, they're adorable. In the larger version of this game, Sushi Go Party, there are many, many more variants you can try, which can lead to learning new sets and how they inevitably play off of one another to leave you with a lovely collection of delectable sushi treats. Really quick, with these two major pieces of the game, set collection and card drafting, players can, at times, feel anxiety and find themselves on the edge of their seats. When you look at your hand at the start of a round and choose to keep the tempura you were dealt, you may feel the slight twinge of dread as you hope and pray to any non-water-based deity to grant you one more tempura card. There have been numerous games where my opening hand contained multiple sashimi. You need three to be profitable, and I've made the risky play of choosing one, and then my knuckles go white and my mind races as I wait to see if the second sashimi returns to me and I sell my soul to Gilgamesh in order to guarantee the third card is hidden somewhere only to see that Jason stabbed me in the back by hate drafting this sweet green card before it got back to me. By the way, again, this is called hate drafting and it's when you draft a card from those available with the sole purpose of hurting another player even if the card does not help you. I've done it before. I've had it done to me. It is not nice. It leads to slight distrust between players. Friends don't let friends hate draft. Sushi Go is a wonderful game to teach people the mechanism of card drafting. And with the cute little pictures, it is fun to look at as well. If you have played Sushi Go before and are looking for similar games that may include a bit more strategy and challenge, I would look into Seven Wonders or Paper Tales, both of which add challenges and complexity to card drafting. If you are looking for a quick, fun little game to play with family or friends, whether to play a single game or multiple times in a night, you cannot go wrong with Sushi Go. If you are worried about the theme because you don't like sushi, don't worry about it as the theme is very thin and sushi smelling cards have not been created yet and hopefully never will be because that's gross. If you've played Sushi Go, loved it, and want more of it, I would recommend looking into Sushi Go Party and adding even more to the wide menu of cards and variants available. And here we are, folks. Another end to another episode. Games are meant to thrill and enjoy. And though their themes may not be leaping off the board, both Sushi Go and Downforce always deliver on the fun and excitement. I've mentioned before about games to play with non-gamers. And I'm sure someone would argue these two games should only act as intro games. I highly disagree. And I suggest you play these games with anyone who wants to play. 
They are quick to teach and can lead to some pretty amazing stories. Or at least they have for me. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to like this episode and listen to others I've posted, as well as checking out pictures and updates I post over on my Instagram at z.a.yourturn. Feel free to drop me a line or a comment and let me know what games you have been playing or are interested in. It has been a pleasure talking to you about these amazing games, and I will be back in a few weeks with another episode. As always, I have been your host, Zachary Anderson, and this has been your turn. And now it is your turn to play some games and have some fun. Be safe, and have a good one, y'all.